Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. And as I was thinking about the next few weeks, uh, the Lord put something on my heart for today. And I just want to simply bring an encouragement to us. Uh, hopefully one that will meet us right where we are. I want to share um, something that's maybe not some new wave of teaching or some ingenious set of thoughts. Um, there's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says, but I want to lift you up a little bit today uh, and hopefully remind you of what God's intentions are for you and toward you. I want to share from Psalm 73, and I think that the reason the Lord brought this back to my heart this morning uh, has a lot to do with the moment that we find ourselves in. Uh, You know, we're all in different moments in some way, but have you noticed that there's like headlines in our world that a lot of people seem to be struggling more than ever? Maybe you've heard about this. Um, You know, we've been hearing steadily about the constant challenge that we're all connected to, whether we ourselves are wrestling or we have friends and family wrestling. Um, We hear so much about the rise of anxiety and depression in our time and mental health battles. Dr. Ed Welch said this, you can go to the manual that has every single psychiatric disorder in it, and they're all increasing more than ever before. Every one of them across the board is on the rise. It's not exactly an encouraging thought, is it? But the Bible has encouragement for us today, and I want to focus our eyes there. So just a a disclaimer, I'm not trying to tackle clinical situations this morning. Um, We have way, way too much respect for counselors, psychologists, some of them anyway. Sorry, we have a psychologist over here. Um, We have way too much respect for therapists to say, oh, you know, please don't continue in that way. We don't want to dissuade anybody from pursuing the help that they need. But I just want to bring us back to a baseline as believers, if that's okay, for just a few moments this morning. How many of you guys know that we have a firm foundation in God's word? It's a firm foundation, and we need to, you know, start to act like it. It speaks to us right in our moment. Sometimes more than we're aware of. We need to listen. So let's hear the invitation from Jesus to let his word be our foundation through every storm this morning. If you're a note taker, I'm simply going to call this message, Lift Up Your Eyes. Lift Up Your Eyes. And you can turn with me again to Psalm 73. We're turning our attention to the Psalms. How many of you guys love the Psalms? Yeah? The Psalms are so raw. They're so human. There's people just pouring their hearts out to God, and it's so helpful to us, because sometimes that's what we feel like, right? Just like, God, what in the world is happening here? Are you not paying attention, God? There's all these kind of thoughts throughout the Psalms. They meet us right where we are, and, you know, they're full of encouragement for us right where we are. So I want to read to you. You can title this Psalm, Psalm 73, Asaph's Struggle. Asaph, one of the chief Uh, psalmist of David, he writes this, and, and watch the movement of this psalm. He says that surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped, for I envied the arrogance when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens even. They're not plagued by human ills, and therefore pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence from their callous hearts. Comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff 
and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how did God know? Does the Most High know anything? And this is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They just go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain, he says, I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long, I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, God, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground and cast them down into ruin. How suddenly they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you'll despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless in ignorance. I was a brute beast before you, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy those unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. We're going to step through this psalm at first. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you that it, it speaks to us again and again in seasons and situations. That your word understands us, it challenges us, and it lifts us up again. Lord, as we track with Asaph through his struggle this morning, anybody who's here who's got struggles and things that they're just trying to bear through, Lord, I pray that you meet all of us where we are and take us to a place where all our dependence is on you, where you are our refuge and our portion forever. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. I want to do a little thought experiment today as we uh, get rolling here. I want to read you a quote, a quote about the arrival of a new technology. I'm not going to tell you what that is. Let's see if you can guess what new technology this quote is talking about. It says this, this new ability to pass information around the world was predicted to unify nations and cultures. It could potentially end wars and usher in a new epic of peace for humanity. But it also delivered unexpected fruit. As historian Tom Standage said, the information supplied by this technology was like a drug to businessmen who swiftly became addicted. And like all drugs, there was a powerful side effect, anxiety. What, what technology arriving would you say that's about? Would it surprise you to know that this is not a quote about social media, this isn't a quote about the internet, or TV, or even radio. This quote is about the arrival of the telegraph, of all things. About the excitement and the addiction to global information it created 
in the wake of one of the world's first mass media events. 140 years ago, a giant volcano named Krakatoa started erupting over a period of five months and the whole world got to hear about it. For the first time, something like this went around the globe. And it didn't just bring with it amazement and excitement, but it brought anxiety with it as well. For 140 years, global communication and information has been with us, steadily rising, and alongside our exponential rise in technologies that expose us to these things has also been the ever-present rise of side effects that come with it. Look at where Asaph starts this psalm. What's he doing at the beginning? He says, as for me, my feet almost slipped. I lost my footing. I was losing myself. Why? He goes on to list, I was looking at everybody else. Look at how easy everybody else has it. You know, they don't even pay attention to God, but you know what? They're just amassing wealth for themselves. They're strong. They have no health problems, right? He just lists it. Like most of the psalmists are complaining to God. Like, are you even paying attention here? Anybody else ever felt like that before? Can we be honest in church this morning? I know I have. <laughs> Since I'm a pastor, I definitely haven't felt like that, you know. Come on. You know you've been there where you're like, God, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to do what is right. I'm keeping myself pure for you. I'm trying to follow your ways, Lord. And then there's these people who, they don't seem to care at all. They're not interested in what God thinks. They're off doing their own things. They just seem to be having a great time. Why aren't they struggling? Why am I keeping myself pure? This is where Asaph begins in this psalm. He's struggling. His eyes are everywhere else. You know, the psalms, they get us. They know us. They challenge us. They find us where we are. And, and maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there today. Just imagine if Asaph had access to Facebook. Could you imagine? We wouldn't have this psalm. That's what I think. There's no way. We've talked about it before. We have to be really careful in our world because we have a lot of tools, and they're great tools that show us important things. We have amazing tools, but they also allow us to compare our very real life with our very real struggles to everybody else's highlight reel, right? And that's not a good comparison for us to engage in over and over again. We have to be careful because we can split our focus in a million directions nowadays. We have to be careful to see what it's doing on the inside. What's it doing to our hearts? What's it doing to our souls? And I just want to go on the record and say, um, I'm not a Luddite. I am in favor of social media and internet and stuff like that. The internet and all its friends are not the only things responsible for the frustrations and the rise of anxiety in our world. In reality, if you look at scriptures, believers have always faced things that are very difficult. Real things, real challenges which are troubling. But we definitely don't help ourselves when, like this man writing this psalm, our eyes are always in the grass is always greener mode. We've got to be careful getting sucked into that because we do it too easily nowadays. And, and Jesus teaches us that keeping track of where our eyes are going is of first importance for disciples. If we're followers of Jesus, keeping track of what we have our eyes on is ex extremely important for us. It's of first importance. I want to read to you from Matthew 6, 22 to 24, teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this to us. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. That sounds pretty good, yeah? But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
When Jesus is teaching this about where we fix our eyes, he's teaching it in the context of what we treasure. What we treasure. Things on earth or things in heaven. And he says, we need to keep track of what we're staring at, what we're looking at all the time, where we're placing our eyes, setting our hearts on. And these two words that he picks here, healthy and unhealthy, as we just read, they mean a lot more than actually just healthy and unhealthy, as they're translated sometimes. Some of you guys probably have an older version of the Bible in front of you. This word hapless for healthy, it, it literally means single. If your eye is single, your, your whole life will be full of lights. It means to be singularly focused on eternal things, on God's things. And naturally, there's a word in Greek that opposes that word, which is diplos, so hapless and diplos, which means to have a double agenda or multiple focuses. But Jesus doesn't use that word when he talks to us about what brings darkness in our lives. He uses the word poneros, which is translated as bad or wicked or evil, but it actually comes from a root word which means toiling, toiling, endlessly toiling, laborious trouble, emphasizing the inevitable agonies that happen in the evil of our world. You know, I don't know about you, but it's not very hard in our world to get our eyes on all the endless agonies that come from people's toil, is it? We got a 24-hour news cycle which puts these things in front. It's actually harder to ignore them than it is to find those problems. And what Jesus is saying here to us is that if our eyes are singularly focused, our focused desire is centered on what is eternal, godly things, then light will flow into our lives. But if we're constantly looking everywhere else, caught up like Asaph at the start of this psalm, looking at everyone else and how good they have it and comparing it to the agonies we seem to be experiencing, you know, we can open the door pretty quickly for darkness to flow into our souls, can't we? It's oppression, despair. Where we focus our eyes makes a huge difference on our lives. Do you know that? So where's our eyes today? Thank God, that's not the end of the story here with Asaph, is it? Thank God that's never the end of the story for us who belong to Jesus. I want us to pick back up with the psalmist here in verses 15 to 17. He says this, you know, if I had spoken out like that, those things which I was feeling very frustrated, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. I tried to understand all this. It troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. He says, if I just aired my grievances, put everything on blast, went off for a while, that wouldn't have been very good. I would have betrayed your children, he says. So he says, I kept these things to myself. I pondered them, but I was deeply troubled by what I was seeing in the world. Until, until. Aren't you thankful that when we read the word of God, there's always an until moment for us? Aren't you thankful that scripture always has that nevertheless moment, that but God moment for us? You know, scripture doesn't shy away from the difficult things in our lives. It doesn't try and sugarcoat things or sweep them under the rug and say, oh, just pretend that's not happening. It meets us in the real moments, the hard moments, the things that we're struggling with, the things that aren't fair or just. It meets us there. And it doesn't just say, yeah, don't think about it. But it does always give us an until moment. It always reminds us of God's permanent purposes 
to draw us to himself where we can find what's real, where we can build on a firm foundation. Asaph says, I was struggling. I was trying to think my way through all this and losing myself in the process until I went back to the house of God. I went to the sanctuary. I went to the refuge of my soul that is God himself. And I remembered that he is sovereign, that there is not a single thing that escapes his gaze. He sees all the injustices, all the things that I'm frustrated by, he knows them. They're not slipping by him. Asaph, in this moment, he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses like we see so often in the Word of God. How many times in the Word of God do we see someone who's struggling deeply and then they come to their senses? Like the younger prodigal son in Luke 15, looking everywhere else for meaning in life to find what is good, left him broke and broken. And then he came to his senses and remembered his father's house. Like Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, who's going, look, this is just terrible. Things are awful. It's a constant lament. That's the whole book. Until this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. It's God's faithfulness that never fails me. His mercies are new every morning. Asaph says this, I went to your house, Lord. I went to you as my refuge, and I remembered who you are and your eternal perspective on things. More and more, we need to be people who run to God with those things. Instead of just running to each other, we need to run to him and get his eternal perspective on things. Amen? And you know, I want to say this to us as well. It's not just the kind of blanket justice of God either, the wide justice of God. Asaph reminds himself in this psalm, not just that God is overarchingly sovereign and just, but he is personally invested. The God we serve is personally invested, interested, takes personal note of what's going on in our lives, not just in general in our world. He's personally faithful to you and me. I like the way that the New Living Translation translates verse 23. It says this, yet I still belong to you. I still belong to you, Lord. I want to say to you today, whatever troubles and struggles you may be having or will ever have, God is not aloof to your struggles. He's not engaged somewhere else. He's busy. God's too busy for my problems, right? We say things like that sometimes. That's not the God of the Bible. God is not off somewhere dealing with other things. He is there. He is personally invested in what you're going through. He cares about the things that you care about that are on your heart. He has an eternal perspective he wants to give you on them. He loves you and he cares about it all. I want you to just consider for a moment the invitations we see in the word of God, from God's heart to you, wherever you may be today. Listen to this. In the midst, in the midst of our challenges and our struggles and the things we wrestle with, over and over again from God's heart, we hear this same thing. Come to me. Come to me. Matthew 11, come to me when you're weary and overburdened with so many troubles. Come to me. I want to give you rest for your soul. John chapter 7, come to me when you're thirsty, when you're running out of gas. I will fill you up to the point where living water overflows from within your soul. 
Isaiah 55, come to me anyone who thirsts. Come and drink. Even if you have no money, this water is free, and I give it freely. You know, God doesn't say, come to me when you're feeling better. Come to me when you got things figured out. He's not waiting for you to just, you know, have your ducks in a row and get your life together. He wants you to come to him in the midst of the battles. In the midst of it all. He wants to meet us right where we are in the struggle, in the daily grind, in our workplace, in our friendships, in parenting. He wants us to come to him with all of it. He cares about all of it. He's personally invested in you where you are right now. So let's never forget that. Let's lift our eyes to him again. And remember who our God is. Remember that his posture, he is leaning in toward you today. He's constantly desiring to bring you back to himself. That refuge that he is. So he can sustain you, so he can lift you up through it all. Like David said, and many of us know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Because why? Because you're with me. It doesn't matter what storm or hurricane is happening in my life. You're with me in the midst of it. So I won't fear. I've got something better. You know, we have so many things, though, if we're honest with ourselves. When we get to those hard moments in life, our eyes go a million directions. We have so many things that say, hey, I've got a solution for you, right? I mean, we're solutions-based people. We've got a million answers that are offered to us. But the amazing thing is this. Whenever we just hear that invitation from God's heart, come to me, and we fix our eyes on him again, whenever we can get ourselves to that place, I'm just going to go to God. What we realize is this. His eyes have never been off of us. Not for a second has his, have his eyes been somewhere else. They have always been on you and me. He's been waiting for us to just gaze back towards him. He's always been looking at us in the midst of it all. He's never stopped looking for us. Like the good father to that younger prodigal who went searching for meaning everywhere else. You know where the father was? He was watching the road, watching the horizon, watching for the moment when the prodigal would get his eyes back on home again. And he wants to go running down that path to meet us. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. His eyes are looking for us always. He's not overwhelmed when we're overwhelmed. He knows every challenge we'll ever face. He wants us to bring those things to him and bring ourselves, our hearts to him. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says this, Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Cast those things troubling you on his shoulders because they're broader than your shoulders. And he's strong enough. The word teaches us he knows every detail of our lives. Down to the number of hairs on our heads. I like what David says in Psalm 56. He says that God's seen all of our wanderings. And he's captured every tear we've shed in a bottle for us. What does that mean? It means you will never shed a tear that God doesn't see. You'll never have a moment of frustration that he didn't get the memo about. 
He knows everything you're going through. The little things and the big things. The things that just disrupt the day and the things that disrupted the last decade. He knows all of them. He's not scared of them. He's not in heaven wringing his hands going, oh, I don't know what to do about that one. He knows it all. And all he wants you to do is come to him. Get your eyes on him again. Remember who he is. You remember who we're talking about. The one who hung the planets in the sky. He's not short on power. His arm is not too short to be with you where you are. So no matter what things may come our way today, and each and every one of us is going to have a battle. Maybe, you know, somebody once said, you're either in a storm, you're on your way out of a storm, or you're, you know, you're on your way into a storm. But there's storms in our lives, and they don't stop, do they? <laughs> so don't medicate it. Don't shift your eyes to something else or sweep it under the rug. You know, in my darkest times in my life, I had a lot of people show up, lovely people, well-meaning people with terrible advice, horrible advice. You do you. Do what feels right. Do what feels right? Come on, the word of God has a lot better for us than do what feels right. Do what is right. Remember the one who is right. Come to me. Why? Because as Dave Buring is fond of saying, the Lord looks on you with eyes of favor. I want you to think about that for a second. What's your perspective of God with the challenges you have in your life? I think if we're honest with ourselves, I grew up in church, some of you did, some of you don't, whatever. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, when we've got things we're struggling with in our lives, most of the time what we feel is like God's disappointed that I'm still wrestling with this, that I haven't gotten through this yet, that I'm not stronger than this. Most of the time that's what we tell ourselves, and guess what, you're listening to the wrong voice there. That's the voice of shame, that's the voice of the enemy. That's not the voice of God. God's voice has come to me. Come to me, why? Because you can't figure this out for yourself. That's why I'm here. That's why I came. That's why I stepped out of heaven for you. Come to me. We often go everywhere else first. We've got more places to fix our eyes than ever before. For help, for breakthrough, for the next steps. And we're all naturally wired towards certain coping mechanisms when things get tough in our lives. Today we've got more plans and methods to clear our heads, to feel better, to not think about it, whatever. Some of those things, to be honest, some of those techniques are super helpful. They're not bad in and of themselves, but they're just not the one foundation you can build your life on. The Bible is clear, there is one foundation that no storm can shake. Come to me. Because we need more than just a bunch more information. We need transformation. Information is not your answer. Transformation is. If we could save ourselves, we would have done it by now. <laughs> we would have figured it out. The world would be a much better place if we could save ourselves. But alongside the Bible's teaching is the truth staring us in the face that we need a savior and a king. Look at our world. We need a savior and a king. Amen? <laughs> we need somebody who can do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And the true Savior and King has come for you and me. Even when we were dead in our sins, the Bible says, he came for us. Even when we weren't looking for him, he came for us. He sought us out. He never stops seeking us out. And he never stops inviting us, come to me for true life. Not all these other versions of life and happiness and whatever that's sold to us for the real thing, come to the real place. 
that you can find it. I want to say this. I don't want to get myself in too much trouble here this morning, but sometimes, even when we go to the Word of God, sometimes even when we go to Scripture, we go looking for the wrong thing. Sometimes we open the Word, and I'm guilty of this as anybody is, just looking for an answer real quick. Sometimes we go looking for a quick fix instead of a person. Sometimes we try and find, you know, the next steps instead of listening for the invitation from the heart of God himself to us, that that's what scripture is for us. The invitation from the heart of God, come to me. Have a relationship with me. You know, Jesus said it to the Pharisees like this in John chapter 5. He said, you study the scriptures diligently, day and night, because you think that in them you have eternal life. Hear me today. This is Jesus' words, not Ryan's. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm here right now. I'm calling to you. Come to me, but you're rejecting me. You're watering down my invitation, systematizing it into a controllable process instead. So don't trade relationship for another thing in your control. Come find me. Yes, the scripture will get you there, but it's in a relationship with him that we have all that we need. Peter said it like that. He said, by knowing him, not knowing about him, but by knowing him personally, we have everything we need for everything life can throw at us. So we don't just need a bunch of new processes, a bunch more information. We need more Jesus. We need him. We need the real thing. We need God with us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul warned the Corinthians, he said, you don't need a bunch more head knowledge. He said, knowledge puffs us up, makes us proud, but love builds us up together. So what is it that brings transformation? Not information, but what brings transformation? What's that thing that's going to set us free and move us into a new place with lasting peace, with real meaning in our lives, and unshakable wholeness that the ancients referred to as shalom? What gives us that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory of our own, which comes from the Lord, who's the spirit. What is he saying? He's saying transformation happens when we contemplate, when we gaze on the glory of God, when we fix our eyes on him in all his glory things begin to change in us. When we make him our, our sole focus, we cut down on the noise and distraction, and we say, God, more than anything in my life, I'm coming after you, something begins to change in us. We begin to become more and more like him, day by day, little by little. Pastors love catchphrases. This one is not my own, but I hope it sticks for you. What you behold, you become. What you behold, you become. 
What you're staring at every day, you're going to be more like that every day. It's true, isn't it? Think about it. I remember when I was in college, there was a fellow student, he was actually my RA for a while, and uh, he watched so much of the TV show House. Anybody watch House before? Right? He watched so much House over the course of the first couple years of his college time that he literally got himself a cane and a sport coat and began to walk and talk around the, uh, the university campus like he was House MD. This is not a lie. I'm getting myself in trouble. Somebody from college is going to watch this. <laughs> Seriously, he became the main character. Because why? Because it's true. We, what we behold, we become. Whether that's, you know, entertainment that we're into, or the friends that we spend most time with, what we read, what we think about, the movements that have our hearts, what we behold, we become. Why? Because God, God made us that way. <laughs> so, that, so one day we could behold Jesus and become more like him. Over and over again, the New Testament calls us to this. The question is this for us today. What is it that we're beholding? What has our eyes? What has our focus? What are we contemplating and going back to over and over again in our lives? I just want to invite us today, really simply, let's hear Jesus calling to us. Because you can't read the word of God and not hear it over and over again. His call, come to me. And let's keep lifting our eyes up to him again, lifting our souls to him alone. Amen? You know, in the midst of challenges and frustrations, which are common, this is, we're going to have these in our lives. As the book of Hebrews says, let's keep running our race with endurance. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Back to Asaph the man struggling in our psalm, who came to his senses when he entered the, the sanctuary of the Lord. Remember the faithfulness of God. He ends like this. He ends by reminding us of the power of God in relationship with us. In relationship with us. Not generic power of God like, oh yeah, I just somewhat mentally assent to the fact that God can do things like that. The power of God in our moments with us, in relationship with us. He says it like this, whom have I in heaven? but you. What an amazing rhetorical question that is. <laughs> it's an incredible question. And two things from this question that he gives us, whom have I in heaven beside you? First thing is this, what is it that makes heaven special? I mean, we, we have a lot of things that talk to us about eternity in scripture, and genuinely we have not that much idea of what it's gonna be like, right? Let's be honest. People tend to get hung up on streets of gold, rewards, all these things. But what makes heaven special? Well done, Brain. He's it, people. Whom have I in heaven besides you? Why do I want to go to heaven? Because of you. <laughs> because I want to be with you forever and ever with no end. Rewards and all that stuff that the Bible gives us wonderful imagery about. That's great. That's wonderful stuff. But just give me Jesus. Give me his presence. Unending. Amen? More importantly, when we're struggling here and now, when we've got challenges, we've got things that are upsetting us in our day-to-day, -day, when we're wrestling and overwhelmed, trying to make sense of our world, Asaph says this, who has the power to bring heaven to bear in my moment? Only you. Only you. 
Who can bring heaven to earth in my mess? Let's get our eyes fixed on the one who can do that again. Praise God, because of Jesus, we can lean on him today. We can lean on heaven's power today. We're promised that. We can live by faith and not just by sight. We can have his eternal perspective on things. And we can have his never-failing power with us. Mark this one down for memorization. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart, he says, may fail. I get overwhelmed. I struggle. I get disheartened, disillusioned. Things in this world will get you and me down. It's going to happen. We aren't just going to walk around with a smile plastered on our face and pretend it's not happening. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God, there it is again. God is the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. Amen? Amen. So I want to say to you today, God knows every battle. He knows every battle. Not just the battles that we have come through or are in, but the battles we will have. And he knows them better than we know them. He knows them as they truly are. He knows the reasons for them that we're still trying to sort out in our hearts that are fickle. And he's committed to you in the midst of the battle. He is committed to you with all that he is. And he's stronger than you and I are to fight those battles. He calls us today and he simply says, come to me. Get away with me. Come away with me. Rest in me. I am all the strength that you need. So let's lift up our eyes to him. And let's remember again, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he that began this good work in you, he's faithful. He will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want to give you a couple simple ideas for how to fix your eyes on Jesus today, how to lift up your eyes, no matter what's going on in your life. And then we're going to stand and we're going to worship him together. A couple simple ideas. First things first, and I think this is just so healthy, and we need to do this over and over again in very many areas of our lives, but we need to take inventory. And you say, God, what have my eyes been on? Like Asaph at the beginning of this psalm, have they just been on all the problems? All the time. I mean, there's enough problems your eyes will never stop spinning around in our world and in our personal lives. But where are my eyes? Are they, you know, recognizing that the world is difficult, so actually I'm just going to go entertain myself and medicate for a while. I'm guilty of this one as much as anybody, too. I love movies. I want to go watch a movie. I got something going on. Like, can I just go have like a rest period for a while? Unplug for a little while? What do we do? Let's take inventory of our eyes. And, and it helps us to ask the Holy Spirit in these moments and say, actually, <laughs> I don't know myself that well. But God, you do. Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me where my eyes have been? What my tendencies are when things get rough in my life? Let's take inventory first. It's an important first step for us. Because the reality is, unless we are real with ourselves and let God speak into our moment, reveal these things to us, you know, change doesn't happen on accident. Transformation doesn't come, just happenstance. So first, let's take inventory of where our eyes have been. What am I spending all my time on? Secondly, though, let's remember who God is. Who is the one who's knocking on our door? The Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Are you going to let me in? I want to be with you. 
Who's the one that's knocking on our door? We need to remember who our God is. I love how in scripture over and over again, God simply says this to his people. He says, go look at the stars. Go look at the stars. Anybody like stargazing here? I can remember vividly out at Beulah Beach uh, as a young man, you know, away from all the bright lights, you could look up and see the Milky Way. Anybody seen that? It's incredible. Go look at the stars, God said. Who put them there? Remember who our God is. And remember that he's an incredible creator, but he's also personally committed to you and me. Psalmist says, who am I that you care about me at all when I look at the stars, right? But he does. He cares about the little struggles, the insignificant, just the things that are bothering us. He wants to help us in those moments. So we don't just remember him, we contemplate him. Contemplate him. We don't contemplate a lot of things anymore. But as Paul said, we need to actually like fix our eyes on him. Spend some time thinking about his goodness. I want to give you um, a tool that could help you do that today. And we've talked about it before. Our friend Dave, who's coming in, in September, Dave Buring, um, he runs a ministry called Lion Share. And they have an app. We can put it up on the screen. I think we have one. And if you don't have a smartphone, you can see what it looks like and find their website. If you do have a smartphone, you can scan a QR code here or at the Connect Center. Uh, the reason I want to suggest that you download this app is because it has daily devotionals that just talk about the character and the attributes of God. So every day there's a two-minute thing that you can find on there where it's just, hey, this is who God is. This is who the Bible says God is. What a great way, two minutes, to focus our eyes on who our God is every day. Because we need to be people who contemplate him, who remember his character, his nature, his desire, his heart. So if you want to know, what does it mean that God is my healer? You want to know, what does it mean that God is creator, that God is an artist? What does it mean that, that God is, you know, our, our shalom, whatever it may be? You know, maybe we could do something like this so easily. And thirdly, I want to encourage you like this. Don't just take inventory of your life and where your eyes are. Don't just remember who our God is and fix our eyes on him. You know, but I want to encourage you to do something else a little different too. Instead of fixing our eyes on all the dumpster fires going on in our world, because there's a lot of them, um, get lost in the stories of what God's doing in our world. You would not believe the things that are happening around the world that God is up to. We're so fixed on our little bubble, on our little life. God is doing incredible things the world over. And there's nothing that builds our faith like hearing testimony, is there? I mean, Revelation says we overcome by the word of the, of the Lord and by the power of our testimony. We need to be hearing testimony more. And I just want to encourage you, go and have a look at some of the things that God's doing around the world. You would not believe it. Things like, you know, there's a massive revival happening right now in one of the most unlikely places that you'd never imagine in the country of Iran that's completely closed to the gospel. There, is, there are millions of people coming to Jesus in Iran right now. Stories that are incredible. They don't have the word of God. Jesus is showing up in visions in the night and downloading the book of John for people. I want more of that, amen? Fix our eyes on what God's up to and not just what the enemy's up to, amen? This is happening all over the world and in a lot of places that you wouldn't expect it. But God's faithful. Just like he's faithful to you and me, he's faithful to people all over the world. So one of the ways you can do this is, I encourage you, get in touch with one of our missionaries. 
You know, we support a number of missionaries here and they can tell you stories. They have newsletters. At the very least, you can get on a newsletter and hear what's happening in the country of Djibouti, what's happening in France, what's happening in Guatemala, what's happening in Southeast Asia and in countries that we can't talk about. (laughs) Because things are happening there that will build your faith, that will remind you of who God is, that will help you to see greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? And whom have I in heaven besides him? Would you stand with me? Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.